Golf and rock and roll, not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We were born to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G, along with the best caddy on the planet, Rich B. Thank you, Holly. Thank you very much. Don't say that word. (laughs) Thank you. I do appreciate your uh, patronage this evening. And uh, Holly, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Let's get it on right now. We got the Buffalo Bills coming back from death. They were dead. Thank you very much. (laughs) Never leave the Buffalo Bills Stadium until the clock says two after the final quarter. You got lucky, kid. Thank you. You got lucky. Yeah, it's all right. Four and three. We're up. Yeah. And uh, uh, looking at the backside of the Patriots again. Yes, that's true. All righty then. We do have some golf to talk about. Yeah. Congratulations to Ben Martin breaking through. Who is this guy? At the Shriners Tournament out in Las Vegas. Who is this guy? Turned pro in 2010, and he's a a South Carolinian. And he'll be at the the Masters. He will be. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I think, the exciting part with this wraparound season, Rich B, because, you know, these guys are playing to jockey for all the, you know, the big tournaments and the majors. And he's exempt now for two years. On the PGA Tour. So this guy's brand new, so you'll see plenty of him in the future. Ben Martin, uh, you know, uh, where did this guy come from and who is he? He's a rookie, and he got lucky. Not a rookie. Are you listening? Well, to what he's, I... you know, he's, Hello? You know, he's new. Stop watching the World Series. Uh, he is new. He's fairly new. He's been out <laughs> on tour. He's been, he turned pro in, in 2010, and uh, I think, you know, had played web.com and then uh, has played – the last two years pretty solidly. I think he was ranked 70-something last year. But, nice. You know, a decent decent tournament for Ben, and I thought Kevin Streelman was going to close the door on him, but that didn't happen. Having you, a good year so far. Yeah, if you remember, Kevin was the one that went on that birdie rampage to win earlier this year. So hard to talk about last season, the new <laughs> wait, wait, wait. season. Yeah, it's not even, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's what not month, even November yet. What month are we in? <laughs> Um, but you know, so I, I, I had a feeling Kevin would close the door on that one, but he did not. And they are headed to Sea Island this weekend, week and weekend for the McGladry Cup and a pretty, pretty decent field there. You know, I like the, uh, I like the St. Simon's Island, Georgia. It's pretty up there as it's pretty so and, nice. and home to uh, a number of great teaching professionals, um, and a lot of pros as well. Zach Johnson makes his home up there, and you know quite a few pros. But pretty decent field. Webb Simpson 
Bill Haas, Chris Kirk in the field, Matt Kuchar. Let's see who else is here of interest. Harry English and um, Brendan Todd. First start since the Tour Championship. And where was Billy Horschel last week? Did he play? Did he even tee it up? I don't even know. I didn't even look. Didn't even look. I know he's your boy. He's your favorite now. Well, you're all on the bandwagon, the Billy Horschel bandwagon. I do love his pants. I have to admit, <laughs> I like I like his pants. And um, you know, hey, Billy's probably. I w- I would shut it down if I was Billy for the rest of the year and just enjoy enjoy the FedEx Cup and all the millions, family, and buy some chicken wings <laughs> <laughs> and stock the fridge with beer. We've got the Hero World Challenge, Rich B, which is going to be here in Orlando, December 4th through the 7th. And that is uh, Tiger Woods. The Tiger Woods uh, benefits the Tiger Woods Foundation. So we've got, we've got PGA Tour Golf back in Orlando in December. So that's, that's fun. Okay, Tree of Golfers teams up to create Golf Beer Company. Uh, this is fresh off the press, hot off the press. Keegan Bradley, Frederick Jakobsen, and Graham McDowell have teamed up to uh, create a beer company. Aha. So <laughs> your boy Keegan from New England, he's going to have New England-style beer. Uh, Graham McDowell is going to have some uh, yeah, some uh, G-Max, Celtic-style pale ale, and uh, Frederick Jakobsen is going to have Scandinavian-style blonde ale. So there's are your, these? Are hey, that's these, your beer update for the week. Are these individual <laughs> brews, or I, you know, are they've they... teamed up? I don't know whose idea this was. Now you can just imagine they were drinking. What way teamed too... up for the taste testing? They were drinking or what? way too many beers, and they said, "Yeah, let's have a company." Yeah, let's or let's let's. <laughs> well, uh, I guess they've got to give all the wine connoisseurs a little run for their money because it seems like everybody on the PGA Tour almost has some type of custom wine. Okay, so who's going to bring on the bacon? The bacon. Well, you can't have beer without bacon. <laughs> so true. What did I? I saw something. You know, bacon is in everything now, right? I don't know what it wasn't ice cream. It was something very bizarre, maybe, and something that didn't make sense, like yogurt or something. Like, Peanut butter and bacon. bacon. Now bacon. Uh, we've got the beer and bacon festival coming up here in uh, Cranes Lake. <laughs> There's your. <laughs> oh my goodness! Seriously, I can't wait. Beer and bacon. Yeah, I think, you, I think you were at Sam's Knees before you came into the <laughs> studio. That's what I think. All right, let's see what else. Quick and uh, let's see, tour news. We had Jay Haas winning on the Champions Tour. There's one more event this week, and then the Schwab Cup happening at the end of the month. Their big end-of-the-year uh, moolah fest. So uh, congratulations to Jay Haas, his 17th win on the senior tour, 60 years old and still just playing fantastic. And let's see, Kenny Perry is the defending champion at the AT&T championship in San Antonio and a first time teenage winner over on the LPG tour in uh, Korea. Hugh Young Beck wins for the LPGA and they are uh, getting ready for the, CME race to the globe, which will be back here in Florida in December for the biggest. This is brand new. Their race for the big title, uh, title money, CME, the CME and uh, the biggest pay check million dollars for the winner uh, in, in LPGA history. So lots and lots of golf still going on. Rich B. 
Oh, yeah, and the the Siggy Tour played at uh, Reopen Hour this week. <laughs> the what? <laughs> the Siggy Tour, the John Signer Tour, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't... <laughs> You, okay, you could t- you could tell we're getting close to the silly season. Yeah, it is silly. And we, uh, uh, web.com qualifier is up in St. John's uh, County. First first stage, correct? Yes. All right. Well, we got lots of golf to talk about. We've got Bob Herrick from ESPN coming up next day with us. You're listening to the Golf Insider, 740 The Game. We'll be right back. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G, along with the best caddy on the planet, Rich B. Rich B. Caddy Stevie Williams planning to retire. You know, he uh, he couldn't find another bag. He and Adam Scott parted ways at the end of the season. The last year, last month. 2014 season, whatever season we're in, and um, but says he would consider part-time work next year and would team up with former boss Tiger Woods. Think that's going to happen? Whoa, he's offering up uh, like an olive branch or something there? Yeah, can I come back, buddy? A couple more paychecks before I retire? I wonder if there's like a caddy retirement fund anyway, the... Uh... Uh, PGA Tour. Well, we'll get to uh, we'll get to talk about that later in the show when we talk to one of our uh, other famous golf insiders. But we shall not waste any more time because we got our main man on the line, and uh, we've got some talk golf to talk about. Bob Herrig, ESPN dot com. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. So we have our first time winner, Ben Martin, hanging on to uh, the final three holes to. Uh, to uh, take the tournament over the weekend. Tell us about Ben Martin. You know what I thought was pretty cool or interesting about that whole thing was the week before at the Fries, he shot 78-79 to miss Ouch. the cut. And then he, you know, I think he was sort of, it was like 33 strokes difference from his first 36 holes to his first 36 in Vegas. And, you know, it's like it's just another one of these guys. I mean, there's there's dozens of them out out on tour that could do exactly what he just did. You know, um, uh, a guy who just needs his moment to break through, and all of a sudden he's kind of got the, the world at his feet. And only his third year on tour, played college golf at Clemson. They've got a heck of a golf program. Uh, you know, he played there under uh, Kyle Stanley was ahead of him. And, uh, you know, here he is. Now he's going to the Masters, and – and uh, has himself set up quite nicely. Yeah, big uh, big tournament for him. I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe Kevin Streelman would, um, you know, take it away from him. Yeah, and he made a great charge there at the end, just like he did, um, you know, earlier in the year to steal a tournament. Uh, I believe it was in Hartford, uh, oh. where Kevin Streelman had an incredible final day and ended up winning. And what was it, eight uh, birdies or something crazy? Yeah, exactly. And I think this one he birdied five of the last seven uh, to get right there. Uh, but the um, 
you know, wasn't to be. You know, it, it was good to see Webb Simpson up there. You know, he he was tied for the lead briefly on the back nine and uh, coming off a pretty rough Ryder Cup. Uh, I don't know that I would have expected that out of him. So uh, uh, he was defending champion in Vegas, but um, you know, he uh, he, he uh, I wondered if there would might be any emotional scars from. Uh, from uh, you know from the Ryder Cup, but he bounced back pretty nicely. He likes this time of year too. His his game seems to go through a a little uh, peak before before the end of the year. Over in Europe, we had the Volvo World Match Play Championship. Miko Ilanen, the Finnish golfer, knocking off Henrik Stenson. That was a great finish. Heck of a heck of a win for him, and uh, moved him into the top 50 in the world. In fact, he, I believe he's 37th now. And, uh, you know, if he can stay in the top 50 through the end of the year, which I would think he would, uh, he, uh, he'll get to go to the Masters as well. That was, a, that was a, an interesting event. You know, Patrick uh, Reed was the only American in it. And it was a little bit of a, uh, if anybody watched, it's sort of a little bit of a primer on what the match play, the, the WGC match play is going to look like now. It's not going to be straight knockout. Uh, it's, you, you're going to play in groups, uh, you get, you're assured of a couple of matches and then you advance based on that. So, uh, that's what that event was with only 16 players though. And, uh, yeah, good for him. I mean, it was, uh, 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 you know, a very, very, you know, this, this golf right now, I know we've, we've kind of sometimes scoffed at the amount of golf that's being played, but you know what? It's pretty important. Uh, you know, these guys who take advantage of these opportunities right now really set themselves up nicely. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, hats off to uh, the Golf Channel with their coverage of the European Tour. I think it's, you know, opened our eyes to so many more players around the world. But in particular, I've, with the Ryder Cup, clearly, you know, we see a lot of the guys on the PGA Tour, but there were players we might not be as familiar with that, you know, got a lot of coverage of the European Tour this year. And I think it's it's really great for golf fans. There's no doubt. And this is a time of year where, where it's really great for golf fans because um, you're going to have some golf that's on at night. Uh, you know, when, they, when they're overseas, uh, some, of, some of these events are going to come out at night, our time. And it's a it's a great chance to see some exotic locales. Uh, I believe that'll be the case next week in Malaysia when um, you know the the PGA Tour actually plays in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, they're 12 hours ahead of us, so you know an 8 a.m. tee time is uh, is 8 o'clock at night over here. And uh, you know there's there's some named guys playing in the, in these tournaments. The very next week is an HSBC, the uh, WGC HSBC in China, uh, and even this weekend, heck, if I can get in a plug for ESPN, they've got the uh, the, the Asia Pacific Amateur. And even though you might not know any of the players, it's at Royal Melbourne, and so just to be able to watch that tournament on that golf course. In fact, it starts tonight uh, because it's uh, you know Thursday. It'll be Thursday morning in Australia. Uh, you know, it's a real treat to get to see it's such a great golf course, and uh, I think it's on ESPN2 tonight. So uh, this is a time of year where the true golf fan can really kind of take advantage of these guys going to other parts of the world. Absolutely, and you know, there's still some big competition going on out there on the senior tour with the Schwab Cup, which will happen in two weeks, and, of course, the LPGA, the race uh, for the CME Cup, which is going to happen here in Florida in Naples, and in November, 
uh, you know, they were over, well, they're in China this week, and same thing. I, I turned on the TV at, uh, you know, whatever it was, 7, 8 o'clock at night, and, and I realized it was live. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's good, and it's, uh, that, that is the beauty of it right now. And, and uh, you know, I, I know we talked about it a little bit last week. I, I do think there's an audience for it, and that is where, I, you know, I'd sort of like to see the PGA Tour you know, figure out a less is more philosophy. You know, if you if you go to these places where where it's overseas and you're bringing golf to a market that's you know dying for it, and then you can broadcast it sort of in prime time in the U.S. Well, then that's a pretty good win-win situation. Uh, you know, I, I think having tournaments domestically that are going up against the NFL and college football on weekends is really a a uh, a, a tough tough sell, and you know, I know the players who are playing are still getting paid, but, you know, at some point uh, the fan has to be taken into consideration, and, and they're the ones who ultimately pay the bills. So, you know, hopefully they're going to they're gonna look at some of this and recognize that, uh, you know, there is a market for this overseas golf uh, to watch it on TV at this time of year. Some of the other news you have on your, on your column in ESPN.com, Bob, is uh, the fact that Tiger is back hitting some full shots. Yep, he is, and um, you were at the at the news conference at Isleworth last month, and he had said then that he wasn't going to start hitting balls until the end of September or early October. Uh, it, it appears that he waited a little bit longer than that because he didn't start hitting balls, at least full shots, until last week. Now, this might be semantics. You know, did he mean he was going to start chipping and putting at the end of September? Sounds like he was doing that first, but... Regardless, you know, if he started last week, middle of October, he's got six, seven weeks to get ready for the World Challenge at Isleworth in early December. And you know what? Why push it? Why overdo it? If there's any chance of hurting yourself again or, or, or you know, not getting back full, you know, I, uh, I think that's, that's important. And also what's going to be interesting to see is just, you know, his desire, uh, you know, I, I, you kind of get the sense he sort of enjoyed some of the downtime, uh, family time, what have you, golf course design. And, uh, you know, not only is he going to have to regain his, his game and his health, but probably his fire. You know, he needs, he needs to get back the, um, you know, the, the, the interest and the, the, that level of intensity. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes. He's not playing in the Middle East uh, uh, in, in, in the winter. Uh, don't know where he's going to start up in 2015. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I think all that stuff is going to be very interesting to follow. Yeah, who's uh, who's the next uh, coach for Tiger Woods? Bob, uh, any speculations? You know, he, I think he's not going to have a coach, um, at least not for the time being. Um, I, I agree. You know what? I, I don't think that's a bad idea, frankly. You know, why even bring another person into it at this point? Uh, uh, if, if you, I, I, now, again, I don't mean to say that a, a, somebody who's an expert in that couldn't help him, obviously. But, you know, it, does that then mean that he kind of has to, like, start over? Um, you know, or what, how, how, you know, how does that work? We all have seen when he has changed coaches, there's been – there's been a learning curve that has taken a while. Um, now, maybe he's going to have to go through that anyway. 
but, you know, basically, if you think about it now, the fact that he's changed coaches, 2014 was a complete wash. You know, he, he uh, whatever he was working on with Sean Foley, uh, you know, maybe it was just to try to manage the back problems. But it's really kind of like it's, it's got to be out the window. You know, he's got he's to kind of start at the beginning and try to figure out a way that he wants to swing the club. And I would think the Tiger, uh, given his experience, knowing what works, knowing what feels right, ought to be able to figure this out on his own. And uh, why complicate it? Uh, so, but uh, we'll see. I mean, he's always had somebody, and it's always a good thing to bounce ideas off of people, too. It helps. So, you know, maybe he waits a few months and then, and then brings somebody in after he starts feeling better. You know, it doesn't really good, do a whole lot of good for him right now to probably, uh, you know, be messing around with swing thoughts when he just needs to be swinging the club and doing so uh, without pain. We're talking to Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Bob, you've got a story about the Ryder Cup, and um, I, I thought it was very interesting about the fact that uh, questioning the leadership <laughs> and the captains of the Ryder Cup is is not something that's new in the wake of all this Tom Watson stuff. And and you pointed out, too, kind of what went on at Medina. Um, and, and, you know, I think sometimes our, our memory is so short. But uh, Alathabal was, uh, you know, on the hot seat there um, when they were coming into the finals on Sunday. And I'm sure he gave uh, the team a bit of uh, a lecture that night. Well, what was interesting was, and this was, you know, as I try to point out in there, this was a discussion held. I, you know, I interviewed Greg, uh, uh, Graham McDowell about several Ryder Cup things, uh, you know, like in the, in the weeks leading up to it. And it just kind of stuck with me, his story about how on the Friday, not Saturday night, but Friday night, Olafabo gave him a you know sort of a tongue lashing, and they were losing five to three. It was only the first day, and he kind of let him have it. And and the guys sort of kind of looked around the room. They were a little taken back by it. I think they were surprised, and you know probably at that moment not too happy about it. You know, and so uh, obviously you know he didn't do that on Saturday night going into Sunday, which is sort of what Tom Watson did this time as we as we've come to learn. Uh, but the point is is that. Uh, you know, uh, this has happened throughout the, the Ryder Cup. There, there has been some acrimony in, in the event. There, it hasn't always been a love fest. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to defend Watson or, or you know, or, or, or even support him. I'm just pointing out that, you know, it happens, you know. Uh, and, and now, as you know, Ian Poulter now has come out and given Nick Faldo a hard time. Uh, and, you know, in 08, those guys weren't too happy with him. It just kind of goes to show you, whoever loses kind of kind of takes a lot of grief regardless of what happens. And uh, you go back through time, and there have been issues with the captain, you know, and, 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 and there's been there, – you're not always going to have every, every uh, player on the team who, who uh, gets along with the captain. So it's um, – I thought it was just sort of uh, an exercise in perspective there. Final question, Bob, because I wanted to ask you last week. Paul Azinger has not joined this task force yet. Uh, curious where you feel Paul is in, in, you know, whether or not is it a win-win, a lose-lose for him if he were to come back and be the captain again? Um, where do you think his mindset is with the whole thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it, you know, he hasn't ruled it out. 
Um, and but I think what he really wants to do here, why he didn't get involved in the in the task force, is he has maybe a, a different vision or a bigger vision that goes beyond some of these things. And I think he wants to talk to them about that, just him and them. He, I think he wants to see where they stand on it and, and how they feel about it. I think he's also sort of curious as to what kind of power will that will that uh, task force have. I mean, I, I think he might be open to joining it at a later point. Why couldn't he? You know, there's no rule that says you only have to you can only have 11 guys. Uh, but I think for now, he I think he's uh, he's handled this beautifully. It was too soon for him. He didn't see any point in joining it now. What what are they going to get decided right now? Uh, and if there is any chance of him being the captain. Then why would you be on a on a task force? You know, you're not going. Are you going to be on a task force at a point yourself? So, um, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, he's got a lot percolating in his mind there, and I don't think this has anything to do with pods or, you know, any of that stuff. I think it's a bigger picture. It's about putting in place a plan, maybe to groom assistants, uh, to groom future captains. Uh, it might be a points system, like on how guys make the team. He might have some ideas on that. You know, maybe he's looked at it and recognized that there's some things that could be better. Maybe it's when you make the captain's picks, um, all that kind of stuff. And, and let's be honest, they should look at it all. Uh, you know, they should look at it all. There was a lot of conjecture this time about when they made the captain's picks. Now, I contend he didn't have great choices anyway. I mean, Billy Horschel, you know, was was not going to get picked because his wife was pregnant, and, and, and it was very, very close to the Ryder Cup. But you know, what if it were the next time and that sort of situation arose? You know, wouldn't you want him on the team? Uh, you know, it, there wasn't that avenue. Uh, so um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of things they can kick around and try to figure out. Completely agree. And the conversation continues. Check out Bob's ongoing coverage about the Ryder Cup situation on ESPN.com and also his birdies and bogeys. Great, uh, great column there. Bob, thanks as always. We'll check in with you next week. Thank you. Bob Herrig, ESPN.com. You're listening to the Golf Insider, 740 The Game. Stay with us. We've got Ron Witten from Golf Digest coming up next. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play at Pebble, won't pay the price. I love my Muni, I think it's nice. It good to just make We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Howie G, along with the Rich B. And Rich, we have a very, very special guest coming up next. Um... One of the hardest working, long time writers in our business. That was a great job. And, you know, on the side of the business, that's so important because he brings all of the news about the best new courses around the globe. Not only public courses, private courses, new courses under construction, uh, remodels. And he is just, he's one of the best in our business. And I'm so happy to have him on the show tonight. Ron Winton, the senior architect writer for Golf Digest. Welcome to the Golf Insiders, Ron. Thank you, Holly. I'm not sure about this hardest working uh, label. 
Well, you know, you're, you're a guy that gets to see a lot of golf courses, and uh, I'm sure you've knocked a few off your bucket list. Yeah, but when there's only 10 new courses built each year, it's not that hard of work. Okay? Well, yeah, it certainly has changed, hasn't it, Ron? Uh, it from... certainly has from the 90s. Yeah, uh, so, very much so. Share a little bit about that perspective. Well, I, obviously, uh, uh, once the housing market collapsed, that was what was driving golf course uh, uh, development in the uh, 1990s and 2000s. And so we suddenly saw uh, very few courses being domest- domestically built since about 2008. Uh, the only ones you'd see were standalone resort operations like Stream Song. And uh, a few other things, and uh, Indian casino courses, of course. Uh, I, I've, I've written that the uh, the Native American tribes are the the new one percenters. They seem to have a lot of money to invest in golf. Yeah, no doubt about that. Stream song, of course, right in our backyard here in Orlando. So the best new for 2014 just came out, and at the top of your list is a course by uh, David Kidd. Gamble Sands out in Brewster, Washington. David Kidd, who's not a, a kid anymore. He's uh, nearly 50 years old. Uh, of course, he burst upon the scene with the original Band and Dunes course back in the late 1990s. That's right. He started that project when he was only 27 um, in, in 1994 and took him three years to finish it. Uh, and then he uh, you know, developed a a kind of global following did courses all over the globe in Fiji, in uh, South Africa, in uh, Honduras. Uh, he did the castle course at the St. Andrews, the eighth course at the St. Andrews, and also a, a Macranish dunes on the uh, uh, on, on the southwestern coast of um, Scotland. And he admits now that he kind of fell in love with his own image and decided that he was going to build uh, tougher and tougher golf courses because that's what uh, he thought architects should do. Uh, and as he got older, he realized that uh, that's not the direction that golf should be going. And, and then so you have tried. to you have to keep playing them when you get older. That's right. And, and so at Gamble Sands, he tried very hard to uh, to address playability and enjoyment rather than uh, difficulty and challenge. He did so by uh, building probably the widest golf course I've seen in quite a while. Uh, fairways are 80 to 100 yards wide. Uh, the greens are, uh, I wouldn't say flat, but they're not. Uh, there are no runaway contours if you're not going to put a ball off the green on it. Uh, and while it's it's well bunkered and there's still a lot of challenge there, there's there's plenty of bailout areas. And it's all fescue grass, the sort of grass that you see in Scotland, so that if you if you miss a green, you can putt it from 60 yards off a green up to the flag. Uh, it is a, a, a ton of fun to play. It looks beautiful from the aerial views that you have in your story. Uh, almost looks a little Bandon-esque. It's a, it's, it's a strange uh, a sort of topography there. It's a high plateau of sand overlooking the Columbia River Valley. And it's sort of a temperate climate. There are a lot of apple orchards there. In fact, this client is, is one of the largest suppliers of apples and cherries in the world. Uh, and and so it's it's got sort of a desert motif. It's 
it's uh, rather arid there, you know, with the Cascade Mountains, all the all these weathers dumps a lot of snow on the Cascades and on the Leeward side there's a, there's there's a desert. So that uh it's actually kind of a elevated desert uh terrain that he's built on. If you miss a fairway you're out in the sandy desert, but he cleared out a lot of the desert plants so that you can find the ball and play it and advance it again addressing the playability issue. Well, the this... other thing I'll mention is that uh, uh, being all fescue and uh, he's, he's um, addressing another of the concerns, and that is sustainability. Uh, there's very few chemicals sprayed on that golf course. Um, it doesn't need a whole lot of water to keep it, to, because you can't get it lush and green. Fescue is not that sort of grass. It's kind of a off-green, yellow-green, and so they, they like it, that color. Well, surprise to me, Ron, was to see two new 18-hole golf courses down in Naples, Florida. The Esplanade oh, Golf and Country Club. Oh, go ahead. Esplanade Golf and Country Club. Yeah, one's in Naples and one's in Bradenton. They're by the same developer and they have the same uh, golf architect, uh, Chris Wozinski, who used to work for Arthur Hills, the mayor of Naples, as we call him, because he's done 18 or 28 or how many of our courses in Naples in his long and uh, illustrious career. Uh, Chris is in his early 40s. And the, and the neat thing about the, both Esplanades are they're the first residential development courses that I've seen built uh, since the, uh, uh, the economy kind of tanked in 2008. Um, and it's not surprising that it, it, they first, uh, you know, that the first ones would be built here in Florida because the housing market, I think there still is demand here in Florida. Um, and they're very well done. They're, they are, again, the same as David Kidd. Chris is addressing playability because the, the whole idea of these are their, um, their bundled communities. If you buy a lot, you become a member of the club so that, so that once the uh, courses, which are open to the public right now, once the, the lots are sold out, uh, they'll have their built-in membership. And if you sell your house, the membership transfers with, with the sale of the house. So they'll always have members. And, uh, and as homeowners, he felt like they don't really need a championship course. They don't need a 7,300-yard course. So they're both around 6,700 yards from the very back tees, and they're around 61, 6,200 from the regular tees that most people play at. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're uh, uh, they're very beautiful courses. They're uh, they're artfully bunkered. They have open approaches into the greens. The greens are not as big, obviously, as Gamble Sands, but they're still generous greens with, um, with again, some sensible contours. But there's some there's some fun wrinkles in some of those greens. Chris, uh, is, a, Chris is a Michigan boy, isn't he? I... Chris is a Michigan boy, still is a Michigan. And, and yeah, done, so he got, to, pl- he got to play a lot of, a lot of great uh, tracks up there in, in the mitten. That's right. Um, these are, are, as I said, they're both open to the public for the present time and probably for the next couple of seasons. Uh, and they're both worth, worth seeking out. Uh, they're, um, they're two different, the, the, they're two different topographies. The uh, Bradenton one has a lot of live oaks and, and savannas where the Naples one, like a lot of courses in Naples built on coral rocks. So there's a lot of, of rock bulkheading around the lakes and there's more, actually more water uh, on the Esplanade in Naples. Um, but they're uh, both uh, uh, worth seeking out. All right. And final question, 
Ron, because uh, he's somebody that uh, I know and uh, is based here in Florida in West Palm Beach and was an interesting partnership. John Sanford and Jack Nicholas teaming up for the Trump International course in the Bronx in New York. Yes, uh, that was, you know, uh, John has had a lot of, of, of experience in, in working with a reclaimed site, which is what the, the Bronx site was just off the, uh, the Whitestone Bridge there. And it took, oh gosh, over 10 years in which to uh, complete the, the dump that, was, that it was. Uh, it was a non-organic dump of a lot of uh, uh, construction material and things, and they shaped it around into into dunes like and, and covered plated it with sand and made a uh, an imitation links out of it uh it was a project that jack nicholas really originally had back in the early 90s uh when he was when it was a different client the client now of course is the city of new york which took it over but it was going to be a private course when the city took it over uh they put it out to bid and john who lives not too far from jack and has an office uh, in, in jupiter florida and jack's in uh, North Palm Beach, and he has a lot of friends in, in the Nicholas organization, so he asked if they'd be considered teaming up on the thing. Um, so it's a rare Nicholas public golf course, uh, and it's it's, um, it's another one. You know, Nicholas has collaborated a lot in the in the past 10 years with Tom Doak at Sabonic, with Tony Jacklin at Concession. Both of those were best new winners. Um, and um, so this, this, this course... Uh, Trump links and uh, Ferry Point. It's, it's called. Uh, officially opens next year, and it'll be a, uh, one of our candidates for next year. Um, it has got Trump's name on it, although he didn't really have anything to do with the the uh, uh, early designer construction. He is he, he he won the bid to run to operate it. He's building a clubhouse now, and that's what they're waiting for to open it. Um, but Trump being Trump, he's. He sort of boldly predicted that that course will host a U.S. Open someday. Certainly, it is in a an enviable location. Uh, well, we'll we'll have to stay tuned for that because we know that Donald uh, seems to get what he wants, and we will absolutely have to have you on again, Ron. Because um, again, I know you're very instrumental in the hundred greatest courses, both uh, public and private, and you've just got such a wealth of information, but we want to tell all our listeners to go check out your best new courses for 2014. Ron Winton from Golf Digest, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks, Holly. You're listening to Golf Insider, 740 The Game. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf, then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so I got good eyesight, I'll be all right. We're back to Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4, in the house, Holly G, and Rich B, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk. We were just speaking with Ron Witten from Golf Digest and I didn't get a chance to ask him about this, Rich B, but another one of the best architects in golf is a guy by the name of Tom Doak, who also is from Michigan. A lot of great architects that came out of Michigan. And he built several of the courses out there in Bandon Dunes. And he's got, he's in the process of designing a reversible golf course. 
an 18-hole reversible golf course in Forest Dunes Golf Club in Roscommon, Michigan. It's being hailed as revolutionary and unique. Two golf courses in one. One one writer predicts it could be a trendsetter in sustainable, affordable golf that helps grow the game. This actually, and as now, I yeah, I wanted to ask him about the uh, golf course in Brooklyn, in the Bronx. Whoa, that's uh, that's a it's stretch. A, it's a be- no, it's a beautiful golf course, and um, just as the one that they did in Boston that was on the reclaimed site that was part of the big dig. Uh, John Sanford has done some some very amazing courses. But interestingly, so the, the whole idea with this is that, um, you know, you literally can play one direction one day, clockwise, and the next day you can play it counterclockwise. And I, I was surprised in doing some research that this is uh, – not a gimmick, and it's not the first time that it's been done. Um, so I, I think this will be an interesting thing to keep our eyes on. But uh, leave it to Tom Doak because he has just designed some of the best courses in golf over the last decade and certainly uh, has gotten many accolades for, uh, for his designs. So how are things out at Hunter's Creek? We're uh, waiting to see if we get Michael Collins on the phone here from ESPN.com. How's things at the creek? Yeah, it's good. The uh, greens are in great shape. You know, and it's that time of year where the golf course is dried out. Thank goodness. Now, uh, everybody in Orlando knows that it just rained uh, for the month of August or September, and it was just wet, and there every golf course in town was soaked. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's made a very nice comeback, and uh, the golf course is – 7,300 yards plus, and it's, uh, it, it's always been a very difficult test of golf out there. And we are in southwest Orange County, just off of the Orange Blossom Trail. Well, we had an awesome time at Metro West a couple of weeks ago. Again, uh, Ron Winton talking about this new course out in the state of Washington, having these wide-open fairways. And I had forgotten how much fun Metro West is. You know, they did a huge, uh, about a million-dollar renovation about mm, 12, 14 months ago. Took out a bunch of traps. Bunch of bunkers, sped up play. Yes. And it really is a fun golf course. And one of those places you always know you can go there and count on the greens. They were slick. Yours truly rolled a few in, as you remember. (laughs) Oh, here we go. A big money putt on 17. Uh, yeah, a little birdie putt on 17. Very nice. Uh, and bragging rights go along with that. And, you know, I played, uh, Dubs Dread today. Drubs Dread? Dubs Dread. <laughs> Drub, Dubs Dread. And, uh, what a great golf course, you know, in downtown College Park, downtown Orlando. And, uh, Was it jammed? That place is always jammed. The, you know, this it's busy. And, uh, you know, it, it's just so cool. You know, it's got a lot of history. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. Another place that had a huge renovation. I played out there about a year ago, I think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, greens are great. And, um, you know, the uh, it's cool. You know, you go buy all these kind of old, smaller houses, and then you'll see, a, you know, somebody's building a big old house. But, you know, that's old-time Florida right there. And, uh, Small greens. Yeah, it's like 1924, I think, you know, it, it started. You know, they've got cool pictures on the inside there in the uh, lounge area. You know, of, uh, you know, Walter Hagen playing golf there. I mean, uh, 
And Bubba yeah. showed up there. Bubba last Watson. year after he won the Masters. Dude, that that golf course is he's got away from the get off the greens before he starts hitting drive. He probably can't take anything more than about <laughs> yeah. six iron out leave of his the, bag. Leave the woods in your bag or in the car. Yeah, don't even bring them with you. What's the total yardage? I forgot. I think it's like uh, 66 or you know 62. But uh, you know, it's got some uh, test, you know, this is a good test, you know, and it's fair and it's fun and it's uh, you know, it's reasonably priced. What's your Favorite golf course in Orlando, Richby? Right now, Southern Dunes. I'll tell you what. You want to see a good golf course in good shape with some uh, professional, you know, uh, uh, you know, just professionally manicured. It really does look good. All right. Well, um, you right playing now, golf this weekend? Yeah, big, uh, big. You, you and know, me? Rave reviews from Rich B on, uh, you know, Southern Dunes. Tour oh. spec. All right. Well, we want to uh, thank our golf insiders tonight. Looks like we're going to have to uh, check in with Michael Collins from ESPN next week, our uh, man who uh, we can always get some laughs out of. Uh, but thanks, as always, to Bob Herrig and um, Ron Witten from Golf Digest in Rich B. Anything happening in the North Florida section before we head out? Yeah, I got happy hour at Sam Sneed's. I'll beat you there. And, uh, yeah, the season's pretty much over. They got a pro-am coming up over at uh, Grand Cypress. And player of the year, Ron Winton. I mean, sorry, yeah. Rod Perry. Rod Perry. And uh, Freddie Gibson wins the, wins the uh, senior division. And where was Rich B on that list? Were you in the money? I was 17. 17. For uh, what? $500? Yeah. $500? You're buying the drinks. We're out of here. The Golf Insiders. Thanks for listening as always. We love you. Bye-bye.